everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Android Central Podcast. It's episode 315, and this is Andrew Martinick taking the taking the helm. I can't remember the last time I led a podcast. We've kind of had a different staff uh, in every single one of these, but I am being led into the promised land here by Daniel Bader up in Toronto. Hey, how are you? I am doing just fine now that I'm remembering how to lead a podcast, and I'm <laughs> it comes also back naturally, huh? <laughs> I'm I'm pulling along Alex Doby with me up in Manchester, England. It's 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 fine. You just sort of just sort of roll with it and, and act uh, act like you you actually enjoy our company. It's pretty easy. Yeah, I have to do that a lot, uh, <laughs> and you know we're we're always just the pinnacle of professionalism on the Android Central podcast every week. I don't know if you guys noticed that. But we really stick to a tight schedule. You know, we never go long. We always follow all of our talking points perfectly. It's it's quite amazing. Yeah, we're, we're adamant. always always an ample uh, dose of, of HTC Bolt in, injected into every podcast. Yeah, I think the I think that last week's podcast. Uh, oh my goodness, it was almost two hours long. It was two hours long, and I feel like uh, I feel like that's another thing that I can blame the HTC Bolt for. But. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, and, uh, a little bit of housekeeping really quick. A lot of you uh, were asking me about uh, the, the podcast not going up in Google Play Music right away. Uh, it took until I think Sunday or Monday to finally show up. Um, part of that was that we recorded a day later, so it took a little longer to get there. But we don't actually control that feed for Google Play Music, so it kind of automatically just decides that it you know found the podcast and wanted to upload it and had problems indexing it so they just you know took an extra 48 hours you know it, no it was deal. too long and too much htc bolt it's, it's machine learning um rebelling against that stuff i'm telling you <laughs> it was like wait what year is it they're talking about a snapdragon 810 and a phone yeah i uh this but, is a pretty inside baseball but i i had a, a really good conversation just to give you some context i get i had a really good conversation with a google play uh customer service rep, I guess, who was looking into why the podcast wasn't published. And we talked about it uh, back and forth over email a few times. And it just turns out that occasionally, and this was on the same day as Google rolled out its new Play Music app to Android and the web. So I don't know if that was the cause, but it was interesting to learn a little bit about how the sausage is made because Google unlike iTunes, sorry, unlike um, Libsyn or another hosting network doesn't actually host the podcast itself. It takes the stream from uh, feed, uh, what is it, FeedBurner. So as long as it knows that the up, that the podcast has been upload, uploaded, it will then take the episode and kind of recast it. Uh, so it doesn't just rely on RSS. It, it will pull the file and host it, but it will it'll kind of, it does like a half duty of hosting plus republishing. It's this weird system. Um, so and, now and that you know that, that. It means that we can't just, like we don't hit upload and like give them a file. No, but it also means that when we hit upload and we give all of the other places a file like iTunes and Pocket Casts, we still have to go one extra step. Right. It's way more than you need to know about how podcasts work, but there you go. That's all to say it's not our fault. I think but that you that's should basically stop emailing, point. basically. <laughs> and you should definitely just be visiting androidcentral.com anyway to get the podcast before anywhere else. True yeah, story. Exactly. Yeah. Um 
Well, now to more pressing news, now that we've spent a little bit of time on that, let's talk about, let's go chronologically here and talk about the beginning of the week so long ago where uh, we had the OnePlus 3T just kind of semi out of nowhere. We got some leaks like what the week before where you know people were kind of surprised that there was going to be a new version of the OnePlus 3, but we didn't know exactly what that entailed. Um, I've... Yeah, I, I use the OnePlus 3 probably the most out of either of you guys. So I, I want to know, Alex, what your thoughts are on OnePlus just kind of bumping the OnePlus 3 five and a half months after it launched it. Yeah, and, and my thing on, on this whole development is obviously this isn't something that you, you would have planned five months ago to, to make this phone and then bump it off fairly unceremoniously five months later because um, as we've learned in, in recent days... When the existing stock of OnePlus 3s are sold, that's basically it. There's going to be no more sold in Europe or the US, and it's just going to be the OnePlus 3T, which is higher spec but also more expensive from there on out. And, I mean, there there are a number of reasons why that could be. Obviously, if they decide they can hit a more attractive spec point for them um, and a better spec point and price point for them as a business, then that's what they're going to do. Um, I think for me, looking down the spec sheets, the major differences are obviously you've got the 821, um, which is faster. Uh, you've got the extra battery life, which is huge, um, a significant increase in battery life in what is literally the same size chassis. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a result of the 821, you have the better ISP for the camera, and you also have some software changes on top of that. So um, I think, I mean, I don't know, OnePlus has always commanded this really loyal following. Um, and I think maybe if you went into it over the summer, maybe in July or August, you picked up a OnePlus 3 because, okay, it was relatively predictable based on the releases in, in previous years that this was going to be the OnePlus phone for the next year. And then suddenly a month or so later, it's getting replaced. Maybe you're going to be a bit pissed off about that, and understandably so. And actually in the UK, it was even more confusing because they had this partnership with O2, their first carrier partnership in the UK, uh, mm-hmm. which was, I think, just six or seven weeks ago. Uh, they started carrying the OnePlus 3, and now O2 is carrying the OnePlus 3T as well. And it's like, well, okay, this is a bit. This is not the way phone releases usually work. Um, that said, it's not really replacing it in in the true sense. It's, I mean, it kind of is, and it's not going to be on sale anymore. But they're on the same software track. So if you have a OnePlus 3, um, your updates aren't going to be any slower than people with the, the OnePlus, or you know, reasonably any slower than people with the OnePlus 3T. Um, and also, it's not being replaced at the same price point. So it's not like you've been screwed out of a better phone for the same price because the 3T is that little bit more expensive. So, I, yeah, I think it, it strikes me as kind of a um, a relatively last-minute-ish decision. Obviously, phones don't just happen overnight. There is some planning that is involved over a course of several months. Um, but it is going to be interesting to see how that progresses over the next year and how that that feeds into people's perceptions of the next generation of OnePlus phones. Are they going to be a little bit more uh, cautious about getting on the ground floor with a OnePlus 4 um, and thinking that maybe five months down the line that's going to be replaced with a 40 or something? That's, uh, you know, something that uh, with any manufacturer that commands a very loyal fan following, that's something you have to take into account. But I think um, it looks like a really solid upgrade. Obviously, still looks like great value. Um, the the main disappointment for me is that they're not quite ready with uh, the Android 7.0 upgrade yet. That will be coming, in, I think they said before the end of the year. 
but we're not quite there yet. And we do have phones that are, are shipping with, with Nougat and there are going to be more phones between now and the end of the year they're getting upgraded. So um, it's an interesting situation. Uh, obviously not the norm in terms of going from one phone cycle to the next. What, what, do, you, what do you make of that, Andrew? Uh, I, I think that you covered most of the bases there. I think that the biggest, I mean, the phone itself, yes, it's just as interesting and worth the money, I think, as the original OnePlus 3 is. I think we all spoke very highly of the OnePlus 3 for what it offered for the equivalent of 400 US dollars. And this just means that anybody that's looking to buy a new phone for the end of the year and you know watch the OnePlus 3 be very popular will now say, oh, well, I'm going to pay a little bit more now and I'm going to get the absolute latest stuff. Um, from their perspective, it was super interesting. I think that they're going to walk this tight uh, this tight line of customer perception of how they release phones. Wow, and it, I don't know if you guys can hear that, but it's like some kind of massive amount of rumbling and some kind of crazy construction going on outside. But anyway, uh, I, I think that the, the big take, thing take is... Take your word for that, because we can't hear anything. Oh, okay. but... <laughs> wow, it was, like, it was like shaking my apartment. Okay, uh, you know, got some high-quality mics here. You guys can't even, can't even hear it. Uh, I think that the important thing is... How OnePlus, uh, I think they have to do a little more explanation, like you said. They have to explain that, no, we're not going to release a new phone every five months that replaces the phone that you have. No, that's Sony's and, job. Right, Ooh. that's... Oh, but I'm... They yeah, have yeah, to... Don't, don't get me started they, on Sony phones. So they, I think they have to do a little bit better job explaining that part, and especially because this is coming on top of... You remember they kind of somewhat randomly launched the low-end OnePlus X last year and then just stopped selling it and completely, like, you know, gave up on the OnePlus X, like, less than a and, year after it came out. And they kind of had to because there was no upgrade path there to Nougat. Right. It was a year, I mean, through no fault of OnePluses, but whatever, you, you still can't support it onto the latest version through whatever circumstances because it's running an 800 uh, or an 801, sorry. Um, right, so I think that that's part of what they need. They needed to do a better job of that. I can tell you that I know that the this is not the new cadence for OnePlus. They're not going to do, like this is not a normal thing that they're planning on doing. They're, they're, they're not planning to do a OnePlus 4 and then a OnePlus 4T five months later. This was kind of a... Uh, well, I would, how, I would how almost say, uh, yeah, exactly. They're not they're not planning on doing well, it until they I, suddenly decide to do it. How do you? I can, how do you know? I can certainly. tell you that they. Well, I can tell you that 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 is not their plan. Their, but then I mean, it, wasn't, it wasn't their plan this year. <laughs> it wasn't their plan this year either. But I'm telling you that I, I think that this was a convenience thing, right? So they said, "Look, here, we can what, get these components and we can make this phone." And yes, it's going to cost a few dollars more. And then, oh wait, we have to. Yeah, we that means we have to not sell the One Plus Three anymore. Yeah, so I think um, you're right about that. Uh, I think what was happening was, as we've seen in years past, Qualcomm decided that the Snapdragon A20 was being superseded by the A21. They weren't making the A20 anymore. They weren't make it was. It's a similar thing to what Google does with new versions of Android. When it's out, they don't really want OEM. They don't want manufacturers to install older versions and they really go out of their way to encourage the, these newer versions to to become you know to come pre-installed um that said 
companies like Huawei just released the MediaPad M2 that runs KitKat in the U.S. <laughs> today. But you know, wait a minute, shrug emoji. Did, let's just, wait, wait, wait a minute. Let's just does it actually run KitKat? That's no exaggeration there. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a uh, it's like. I don't know. It's one of those. Is weird that the one things. that's the MediaPad 10.2 with the 10.1 inch screen? Yeah, it's the yeah. It's the MediaPad M2. It was released last year, I think, uh, two years so ago. It's not the it's not the MediaPad M2 10.0 with a 10.1 inch screen and oh, marshmallow. That's what, that, that's what I reviewed about six months ago. Yeah, I mean, if, no, if it's, it's actually if it's actually running KitKat, as in as yeah, in the version, is. like. There was released with the Nexus Five in in 2013. That is just wow. Mm. Okay, yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, what I what I think is is interesting about this is that it's the first phone that we've been able to test or will be able to test that runs two versions of Qualcomm's um, Tick Tick or Talk Talk uh, update to its uh, SOC in the same body with the same software with very minimal changes anywhere else, as far as I know. So, you know, between generations, if say the, like we had the, uh, what was it? The Galaxy S5 running the Snapdragon 801. But On the, the Note 3 the year before, the, right? Yes, right. Okay, that's true. But there was, so there are a couple of things, but the, then the hardware, the base hardware is different. I was going to say the, the Note 4 ran the 805, but whatever, tangent. What I mean is this is a very good way of actually benchmarking the substantive differences between these minor cycles. Um, and it's interesting that OnePlus is marketing this very conservatively. I mean, it's using the same tagline, yep. same mm-hmm. um, you know, same branding, everything, and I think this is going to be representative of the future. You know, it's not. I mean, ne- it's not necessarily. Um, you know, you're not going to see huge refreshes every year. I think as like, as hardware here's, matures, we're going to get more yeah. devices with these very iterative and very conservative changes with only minor pricing bumps if the if at all i mean here's the the situation is they can't advertise it too hugely because it, it's 95 percent the same phone that they already released five months ago which granted is still a great phone i mean you could use a one plus three today and it's still an awesome phone even though the 3t exists there's not you know, I mean, it's it it's the same. It all uses the same cases. It has the same display. Yes, there's a new color, and you can buy it in 128 gigs of storage. But there's nothing substantial that you can note here, aside from much longer battery life and you know future proofing and some slightly better performance with 821. So it, it's not like they could come out and market this as if it was a brand new phone. There were you know from. Two perspectives. One, they didn't want to piss off everybody that bought a mm-hmm. OnePlus 3, especially those that bought a OnePlus 3 like a month ago. Uh, and they also don't want to come across as trying to market an old phone as new. So it is this very tight line that they have to walk of, okay, we had a great phone. It made sense for us to bump these things. So we did it. Um, that's, you know, that's like such a OnePlus thing to do, right? It is, but I, I think. I just, it, sorry, go ahead, Dan, uh, Daniel. No, that wasn't me. Hmm? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, all you, Alex. All right, I was going to say. Um, 
Yeah, you made an important point there in, in terms of not pissing people off, because if you're OnePlus, then you don't want to necessarily pour a lot of resources into marketing this, because who are you marketing it to? Certainly not people who, you know, your core um, customer base, which is already aware of all your flagships, maybe has a OnePlus 2, probably more likely already has a OnePlus 3. So you're maybe going to those people that dis- maybe didn't decide to, to jump in with the OnePlus 3 initially, um, still in the market for fair, a phone now. They're not... They're not expecting anyone with a OnePlus 3 to buy this, obviously. I wouldn't have thought, I mean, unless you you have to be on the cutting edge at all times and maybe you, you stick your old phone on eBay or something or Swapper and, and you want to get the new one because you just have to sure. have the very latest. Um, but no, absolutely not. It, that's not the, the the usual way you would take to uh, to market these things. Yeah, I'm. so I think that this is overall, I, I think, you know, it wouldn't be a OnePlus phone launch without a little bit of a PR and marketing blunder. But... I think that they've. I I don't have a problem with this strategy. Like Daniel was saying, this this is a fine strategy going forward. You have a great platform. Aside from completely redesigning the phone and changing massive parts of it, you wouldn't expect much more out of the OnePlus Three. It is an awesome phone for four hundred dollars now, four forty, or um, you know whatever your local equivalency is. So you couldn't have expected them to change all that much anyway. This is the kind of mid-cycle bump that you just kind of put out there and you, you know, you flow it into the channel and it's easy for them to continue, you know, one day they stop making it in gray. The next day they started making it in gunmetal and put a different processor and a different front-facing camera in it. It's not like it was, uh, you know, this huge, you know, huge cycle changer that they Mm -hmm. had to do. Um uh, I mean, Daniel, are you still willing to recommend, like, go out there and recommend this as the, you know, the new phone? Or are you saying, like, hey, it's halfway through the cycle. What do you wait for the next one? Well, I mean, it's it's the second phone on the market that you can buy with a Snapdragon A21. So to say that it's using old hardware is just not true. If you're a spec sure. hound, it's got the latest and greatest. It's still one of the only phones you can buy with six gigs of RAM, which admittedly isn't utilized to its full potential yet and and you can get 128 gigs of storage in it now absolutely which kind of offsets the fact that it doesn't have a it lacks a micro sd expansion slot it's got a bigger Mm -hmm. battery which means that it's more in line with devices like the pixel xl and the galaxy s7 edge so you should be getting a couple hours longer uptime every day the camera, as we've proven time over time, was great with the A20, should even be improved, as Alex said, with the A21. And everything about the OnePlus 3 when it was released in June felt modern. So I don't see a reason why you would think of this as a recycling of an older device. It is still a very new, very modern phone. What's interesting to me, though, is that if they can support the OnePlus 3 even after discontinuing it for a couple of years and bring Android 8 and a couple of years of uh, updates to it, then I think they'll follow through with their promise of really caring about their customers. You know, I don't want their, you know, we we know the reason the OnePlus X fell off the radar and it was Qualcomm's fault. It wasn't OnePlus's fault. So if they can follow through with this and actually keep their older phones updated, we don't know what the OnePlus 2 is going to have, but it kind of it's running the 810 and it may run into a similar problem in a year or so, but you know, I want them to do what they're doing for hardware on the software side. 
I mean, Qualcomm right. makes it relatively predictable in terms of upgrades because you have the 810 and the OnePlus 2. It's also the same chip as in the Nexus 6P. 6P is guaranteed at least another year of updates, presumably taking it to Android 8 or whatever. So you're probably safe unless OnePlus just decides to ditch it for whatever reason. Uh, you know, technically, there's there's no technical barrier there that would stop a OnePlus 2 getting updated to the next version. Um, I mean, you, you never know what's going to happen further down the line. There may well be a situation where there's some obscure hardware thing that would mean the 3T would get an update that the, the 3 wouldn't. Um, but you you really never know that. And we're talking years down the line here. Right. Their, their plan right now is that um, Nougat is supposed to arrive for the original 3 a little sooner because obviously they were working on that you know, before the, the 3T was actually finished in shipping. But after that release, they, they expected to be about a week apart or so. They're just going to drop at the exact same time because the hardware is so similar between the two mm-hmm. um, that no, think... nobody with a OnePlus 3 should feel left in the dust. But I think that OnePlus should go above and beyond to make sure that somebody that bought a OnePlus 3 three months ago feels like you're, you know, they're taking care of their customers. Definitely. And I think, aren't we looking at a, um, a community build of uh, 7.0 sooner rather yes. than later? Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Well, and then sure. the the official one is only about a month and uh, a month away. Well, that's, that's that's important. So uh, we're, I mean, we're probably spending too much time on uh, what is, in the grand scheme of things, uh, such a small bump. But it's such an interesting thing that we don't see done all that often. I mean, I think that we, uh, Daniel and I, talked about how after the the Note Seven kind of went under that Samsung should have maybe like re-released the S7 and S7 Edge in like a bunch of new colors with a USB-C port or something like that. And that would have been kind of the similar kind of thing. But you just, you don't see a company as big as Samsung doing that kind of thing. Maybe um, not. So, so it's what, kind of interesting. One thing that I kind of theorize Samsung might do, obviously we, we have the new, um, what was it, Coral Blue? Uh, that, that new yes. color for the, the GS7. Blue Coral. That, blue Coral that, that came out uh, in the past week or so. Um, obviously brought over from the the Note 7. I thought maybe, you know, you're probably not going to ditch the port for a USB-C just for the sake of it, but Samsung could very easily, like you say, bring in a bunch of different colors, maybe one or two more before the year's end, maybe bump it up to 128 or 64 as standard, because that's still probably the biggest hardware uh, limitation and difference when you compare a GS7 to a Note 7. Um, are there a few things they could do? Uh, they're probably not looking at anything too huge. Obviously, hardware changes like that don't happen overnight, and Samsung is still reeling from having a bunch of hardware that they have to essentially now dispose of. So, uh, yeah, they'll be maybe hesitant before pouring a bunch of money into manufacturing uh, new phones that it may struggle to sell compared to the base well, that, model at 32. But That reminds me really quick before we move along that there was this rumor out of Korea that Samsung is going to uh, refurbish and resell Galaxy Note 7s. Alex, Alex was can like, you just give me... Why are you bringing this up? <laughs> this is such yes. BS. Give me, so give me the 30 seconds of what the hell. It's BS on a couple of different levels. Um, it's firstly BS because just obviously in terms of common sense, you would never do this. Uh, <laughs> secondly, it's BS because the original source of this, uh, the uh, investor, a Korean publication, which has actually made its name in the past couple of weeks by publishing some kind of dubious uh, Galaxy S8 rumors. But this article of theirs that has been doing the rounds this week, as if it's new news, actually was published for the first time in, I think it was the 25th or 26th of September. 
So this this was during in the time that before the uh, the Note Seven finally died for the last time. It was when things were being replaced with the, the second wave of notes. So uh, you know you could imagine a story being published at that time saying, okay, we have all these old notes. Let's swap out the batteries, sell them as refurbished units in India and Vietnam. That makes total sense because of the timeline of when it was first published. It makes sense as a business decision for Samsung to do if that was indeed, you know, if they were able to fix the problem with the battery. Um, in the light of where we are now with the Note 7, obviously not a chance in hell of that happening. And people are reporting an old story this week based on, um, you know, a, a reading an old uh, report in the light of uh, the Note 7 as it exists now. So don't, you know, there's, there's no way this is happening. Um, this is this is to do with people not seeing a timestamp properly and getting confused. And no, the, <laughs> no, the Note 7 is well and truly dead and it is not coming back in even in refurbished form. Times and dates are hard, all right? Well, mm. let's let's talk about the things that Samsung's actually doing for phones that actually exist. We have... Android 7.0 for the Galaxy S7 and S7 Edge in the beta program, or whatever they want to call it. Uh, well, I, I think it was a, a, in the app called the beta program for Galaxy beta program, which is a hilarious <laughs> transition uh, translation issue. Right. But Alex, you have it on. Is it on an Edge or an S7? It is on an Edge. So, okay. I've, so I'm here on the. How have uh, you been finding it? I've actually been really surprised. I, I mean, for starters, it's been a couple of months since I've actually used the GS7 Edge because I've been on the Pixel but uh, and, and other devices. But, um, you know, for starters, I've just been kind of getting reacquainted with the uh, the GS7 and, and thinking, hey, wireless charging is kind of cool and, uh, you know, the curved screen is kind of cool. So this, these are just things that I'd almost forgotten about in terms of uh, this phone. But uh, the update as you would expect, brings all the things that you would uh, you would want from 7.0, like uh, the new notifications, like uh, the uh, multi-window working in basically every app now. And mm-hmm. uh, that was kind of an interesting thing because Samsung before, they had their own implementation, which was the most supported of all the third-party uh, multi-window versions. Um, but now, uh, if you scroll through your app list, chances are you'll see the little multi-window icon next to more or less every app. And uh, you can, of course, grab individual apps, drag them around, um, split the screen between them. You have all the options there that you had before, except now it's natively built into the OS, so you're not dealing with a proprietary version of it. You also have the, um, I forget what the official Samsung name for it was, but the uh, uh, floating window mode, um, pop-up view, I think was the name. And this has changed a little bit as well, because this this is, you have to imagine it's using some of the code from um, the... Um, there's a separate Android version of it, which uh, the name of which escapes me. But this basically works like the uh, the freeform window mode on a tablet, where you can resize it, and it doesn't just take a full sized view of that, shrink it down. It actually uh, readjusts the app so that it isn't just a shrunken down view. It actually hmm. uh, text labels and stuff adjust properly to the new size, and um, this just makes it a whole lot more usable when you're dragging stuff around the screen so you're not dealing with a bunch of tiny text, it's really easy to look around and actually use it in a window as opposed to before when it was just this regular size view that was shrunken down into a weird shape. So and the, the other interesting part of this is it integrates a lot of the features that we saw on the Note 7 but hadn't made their way back to the GS7 yet, right? Uh, one or two. So the features, as you'd imagine, involving the S Pen aren't included because there's no mm-hmm. S Pen. 
Um, but yeah, they're starting to bring some of those features across. I mean, I never actually used a Note 7 full time, so I'm starting to get to just get to grips with this, and a lot of this stuff is new to me. But they have the uh, the blue light filter. They have um, what uh, else the is battery there? saving modes, I assume. Yeah, battery saving modes. So the the screen resolution uh, slider, and actually that's kind of interesting in itself because the default resolution on this, where you flash a fresh installation, it actually defaults to 1080p on a 1440p screen. And hmm. again, this this is pre-release software, so you don't know what's going on there necessarily. But um, it is very interesting that they've made this deliberate decision to downscale to 1080 by default. And you know, obviously, there are battery concerns there. Maybe they want to. They've decided that you basically can't tell the difference <laughs> between 1080 and 1440, which often you can't. Um, just interesting, interesting to see that in a sort of public-facing firmware. In and, a way, and that, that was something. That was part of, you could turn it on as part of battery saving, but on the Note 7, you didn't have that option. And that's something that um, Huawei's done for a long time, right? uh, At least the past sort of generation of Huawei phones. And to be clear, this isn't a battery saving feature. This is just a display feature. You go in there and it's just screen resolution and the the three options are 720, 1080 or 1440. But it is a battery saving feature. I mean, it it is there to save battery. It's just advertised more as a feature rather than an accessibility mode in a way you know yeah and a lot, i mean battery and also performance i guess for for games or whatever um yeah i mean it's presented more in the in the same context that it would be on a laptop or um a, a desktop computer than it, it would be on a phone so that yeah kind of interesting um obviously there are a lot of visual changes that go along with it um the quick connect thing which is for managing bluetooth and wi-fi direct devices that kind of has it the own bar now that's been redesigned if you have a smartwatch or something paired that appears in the bar so that's the way that's the way uh, gear smartwatches are handled now you have a separate bar underneath your quick settings for seeing that um quick settings themselves are kind of this hybrid between the way they were on the note 7 and the way they are in stock android so they animate the icons animate down and you have this three by three grid um and you know you can customize it in the same way you can in stock android it just looks a little bit different uh, launch has been changed, changed up a little bit as well. You have Squirkles, they are back. The Woo. default setting for icons now is... Uh, so you have uh, you can have icon borders, I think the official name for them is, and um, they actually have a few of their own squirkly icons you, for prominent. You can still turn it off, right? You can still turn it off, it's just the default right. is... Yeah. Just like the note. And it seems to, to detect based on whether the icon is like a full-frame square icon, like BBC iPlayer, uh, Twitter, Trello... Uh, WeChat, anything that has a large frame around it already, it will detect that and basically do a cutout. Anything else, it will get the icon in like a, a, a light gray sort of squirkle around it. So they're doing it's like a better version of what Huawei was doing a couple of years ago in that respect. Um, I actually don't mind. I, I mean, I'll, let me let me confess something to you. I've actually left the squirkles turned on on my GS7. I think it's probably like the visual consistency that you get, but that actually makes sense. This week's episode of the Android Central Podcast is brought to you by Harry's. Harry's makes great razors for less. If you're looking to save some money from those expensive drugstore brands, Harry's is just the ticket. You go to harrys.com and you order your set. And if you like, they will send you a bunch of razors every month through a subscription right in the mail. It's really easy. But that's not all. Harry's actually makes better razors than the ones that you find in the drugstores. 
Not only are they great, high-quality five-blade razors, but they have a flex hinge for a more comfortable glide. The blades are trimmer so that they reach those hard-to-reach places, and each one has a lubricating strip along with a textured handle for more control. Harry's was started by two friends who just wanted to pay less for razors. Razors should not be complicated. So they decided to design their own and to manufacture them, they partnered with a factory in Germany. And they liked the product so much that they actually bought the, the plant, which is pretty cool. Now they make razors for less and they send them right to you. And if you don't like them, which you probably will, but if you don't, Harry's will refund you 100% of your money. That's a pretty great deal. So how do you get the starter set? Well, the starter set comes with a razor handle, moisturizing shave cream, three precision engineered five blade cartridges and a travel cover. And that's all just for 15 bucks. It's a great way to get started with Harry's. And for a limited time, you can get even more if you use the offer code AC at checkout. So you get an extra $5 off the already discounted $15 price for a starter kit by using the offer code AC at checkout when you go to harrys.com. Again, AC, harrys.com, get a better face, except, you know, you don't have a choice because that's the one your mama gave you. But anyway, you can get a softer face and that's all that matters. Back to the show. Yeah, that's kind of been the the funny thing about the compared to the pixels, where it's funky. It's extra funky because there are some round icons and some square and some just random squircles and all that kind of stuff. So you almost like the consistency provided by putting a frame around it. Yeah, and the way Samsung frames them, because it isn't just white, it's this off-white with the shade around it, it actually works better with app, uh, with apps that weren't explicitly designed for it. Whereas with Huawei, generally, you know, if you ran it up against apps that weren't designed for that theme, it would look just awful. Um, so there's that. And I think uh, we will maybe see with the GS8, because obviously all of this stuff is, is uh, these are UI decisions that we'll probably see taken forward to the Galaxy S8. Um, maybe we're going to go full squircle in uh, in response to Google going full circle uh, in the Whoa. next gen of Samsung. Yeah, it's, God, uh... <laughs> this is so boring. Honestly, like somebody like this, I just don't get it. It's like they're icons, and we 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 fight about which design is the is the right one. And there are so many sticklers for circles and squircles, and oh, it's just so much. I it's, wish they would just stop changing the damn icons and just let them be. But, you know, this I mean, is the we, world we live in. We we kind of obsess over this a little bit, but it is something that, especially if you don't have any choice over it, it's something that you're looking at all the time on your phone screen. And if, and if you have one of your favorite apps that has an icon that looks bad, that is something that is staring you in the face every time you use your phone. So, oh, 100%. I mean, I, I open my Pixel and I, you know, I have my, um, my, my, what is it, 10 icons or 15 icons on the screen here. And we have photos, which has a white photos and play store are opposite the one another. And they have uh, white encircling them, which is terrible. They're the, the original icons <laughs> yeah. enclosed in, in white. And then we have mm. messenger and the new messenger icon is lovely. I think Google's done a great job with it, but then we have maps, which makes no sense to me. And then Slack is this like aberration that actually has transparency. Uh, and it's like, 
you know, this will never get solved because Slack, part of Slack's brand is that icon, right? And Google's offering all of these developers right. the ability to add an, a, a circular icon, but it doesn't help. It doesn't do and, anything. And the, hilar- <laughs> the hilarious thing is if you look at those circular icons on a Galaxy S7 on Nougat right now, you get the circle inside a square core. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you, you can only imagine this is going to get worse going forward because more, uh, you know, Google has more pull in, in terms of, app, because the platform holder, they have more pull with app developers um, than arguably Samsung does. So you're going to have a lot of app developers pushing towards the, that circular icon um, mm-hmm. form. And you go there on a Samsung phone, and it's just one border inside another border. And it's like, ah, and, and the thing with this this uh, round icons in 7.0 thing or 7.1 is it's going to be so long before you know every phone is on 7.1 and higher that you're going to have this bifurcation of Google and everybody else is going to make two icons for the next four years, and, pretty yeah, much when, for that? every single mm. app. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that, I mean, I just thought about this for the first time now as I, you know, I, I look at a marshmallow phone next to a nougat phone and you're like, they're going to have to make a round icon and a squarish icon for, or, or, you know, whatever shape, you know, Slack isn't a square, although it's a square on the desktop, you know, whatever, but they're going to have to make these two different icons if they want to support it. So what are they going to do? Well, they're not going to make a round icon. They're just going to make the one icon that can display on all versions of Android. And that that's the the biggest problem with this push to round icons. But, you know. Uh, maybe. We'll see. I mean, we're getting to... <laughs> icon cast. <laughs> yeah, icon cast. I mean, the, there are a lot of... I mean, in broad terms, UI changes in this build. Everything is a lot mm-hmm. more white now, um, which is a, a theme we've been seeing with... Uh, the way the Samsung UX has been going over the past couple of years. So the settings app is a lot less blue now. Um, it's actually a lot better organized as well. So there's just a handful of main categories, um, all of which has like a, its own cutout icon that is no longer in a little uh, circle. And actually, if you drill down into any one of the areas of the settings app, there's a section that says looking for se- looking for something else. So if it, there's yeah, something that sort of yeah, tangentially that was, was, is that a note seven thing that that was available sparingly on the note seven okay. uh, and it didn't always do a great job. So that's now in everything, every single um, top level menu on the, uh, the GS seven in Nougat. And actually it means that if you're like searching, I mean, of course there is a, an option to search through the settings, but if you're looking for something that is related, but isn't, doesn't actually live under there, that for, you know, for example, you go to about device and it says looking for something else as contact us or factory reset. Um, yeah. So, I, so- I think that the important part about that is it, it lets them simplify all of the settings, and but then still God. surface this other stuff. <laughs> uh, my God, did the Samsung settings menu need to be simplified? Uh, I think we can yes. all agree on that. Uh, yeah, so the, there's a lot of new UI stuff there. Um, notifications obviously are done in the Nougat way now. Kind of interesting on the GS7 Edge, um, the way you have the bar for quick res- for responses and buttons um, in apps like Gmail, WhatsApp, whatever. Um, the bar doesn't actually extend all the way around the screen because there's some dead space at the side because of the curvature of the screen, which oh. makes hmm. sense in terms of, okay, you've got a curved screen, so you don't want to be having the reply button all the way on the curved area, but at the same time, it looks weird just to have this 
grey cutout in the middle with nothing on the side of it. So I'm not sure if that'll change. They're still working on this. They're still building it out. And we're still a good month away from having a final release. Um, it's just something that their hardware decision to have this very sort of wide curve at the edge of the uh, GS7 Edge maybe causes them UX issues because of the way the notifications work in, in Android 7.0. Um, on right. the whole, though, I, th- I think like it, all the UI decisions they've made are basically positive. Um, you know, you're moving almost completely away from this blue UX that we saw for the first time. I think in Lollipop on Samsung devices, the mm-hmm. the, mo- the most blue thing that we have is the the uh, notification quick settings area, which is this weird off shade of blue that looks uh, yeah, that a was little very jarring. odd to me. Yeah, so that may well still change. It looks a little bit off compared to everything else, especially with the black font color on there. But obviously, with Samsung phones, we're moving towards this brilliant white UI, which maybe seems counterintuitive, counterintuitive with uh, AMOLED screens. But nevertheless, that's the direction we've been going in for a while, and that's the way things are right now on on Samsung phones. So, um, still early days there, but there are a few interesting UI decisions, and that's something we'll almost certainly see carried forward to the GS8 next year. So, so what are your expectations as far as? You know, you said it's relatively stable right now, but do you have any expectation for when this is going to start hitting phones? I mean, I know we touched on it last week. A little bit. So I think um, the current plan that Samsung telegraphed for the um, the preview program ending, they said mid-December. You'd imagine if it ends, it's got to be replaced with something. That something is going to be a stable build. If you also look at the timetable last year for the Marshmallow preview on uh, the Galaxy S6, uh, it was also a case of it was about a month to a month and a half between it starting and it ending. Uh, Samsung has said they they have a an updated build today for uh, like some bug fixes with Facebook. There is going to be a, a second preview build that uh, implements some feedback from from people who've been testing it. But I think we're probably not going to be looking at a, an especially long program because you know it is just a month long. Um, Samsung obviously has had final code for quite a while, so I I would expect. Maybe not on carrier versions, but certainly on international unlocked versions. Maybe you would be looking at uh, you know a nice Christmas present from Samsung in uh, <laughs> mid to late December. Um, you know, a preview, um, a stable build of a seven point zero. And this will be a nice test for the U.S. carriers because some have actually been really good about getting out monthly security updates. I think uh, Verizon in particular has been, and T-Mobile have been really good about getting those out monthly. So it'll be interesting to see if they're capable of getting out a big platform update uh, quickly as well. Um, I think the answer is Canadian. But I think Canadian (laughs) carriers have been particularly bad about updates, right, Bader? Yeah. uh, The Canadian carriers are one of the most egregious violators of that consumer trust if only because when we're looking at it kind of in the scheme of things they really don't have as much testing to do because all of their networks are basically the same we have we have three carriers with two networks because the two of the carriers actually share a network so the qc is probably considerably lower than um than on on Verizon and, and AT&T and T-Mobile and Sprint. The other part of it, too, is that they feel like nobody cares or they just ignore the complaints because there are so far, there are fewer of them. And I mean, they feel like their customers don't care about the updates? That's what they've said. They said that they're okay. their customers have told them that they're okay receiving quarterly updates. So, for example, my Bell Xperia Z 
performance, no, Xperia X performance is still on the April 1st update. And and the Xperia (sighs) X is now on the July update or August. So it's not great. It's really a, sorry, some Siri is act. I don't know what the fuck just, sorry. I don't know what the hell just happened. (laughs) Siri just activated behind me on my Mac I don't know how that happened because <laughs> Siri doesn't update. It doesn't activate. Uh, I'll be right back. And now, you, now, now you're saying Siri, so Siri is just going to keep doing things. I mean, this is this is after all. This is after all the. Uh, this is the market that gave us a three-year contract a few years back. So maybe we shouldn't be surprised at terrible consumer support. That was, right. you know, was ridiculous. <laughs> so that was my that was my iPhone Seven Plus, not my Mac. I was right next to my Mac, uh, and okay. it, it said, um, "Here's what I found on the Xperia X uh, on Wikipedia." So, <laughs> so have something good to say? Uh, probably not. That's re- relevant info right there from Siri. That's uh, I think Alex is the manager of that Wikipedia page. Actually, <laughs> probably yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm f- filling it with uh, unverified information that, uh, that it's is just uh, the negative of, for that phone. It's, it's just the gif of that dumpster fire. <laughs> and just it's just that's a single thing on the page and that's it reference yeah, god bless Alex's the, review. the person that keeps that page going and up to date oh my god oh, i don't know i i didn't hate the x before i didn't actually review or even touch the x before i didn't hate the xperia x it was okay it was just very average anyway that sounds about right so uh let's let's jam through one last uh important news item i guess the snapdragon 835 and Quick Charge 4.0 were both, uh, I guess, announced this week. Uh, Alex, do you have a do you have a good handle on what's going on here? Because I I sh- uh, certainly don't. Yeah, so we don't know a whole lot about um, the Snapdragon 835, except that it is uh, a total of 15 Snapdragons on from the previous release. Well, actually, 14 Snapdragons from the previous release. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, don't, um, don't forget. Yeah, uh, don't, don't forget the 821. Uh, we, yeah, we don't know anything about the actual architecture of it beyond the fact that they're making it with Samsung. They're using Samsung's uh, Samsung's fabs with a 10 nanometer process. Um, we'll find Which out more. Which is tiny. Tiny, uh, so it's an, it's yeah, step down, which is actually a step up from the uh, a fourteen nanometer process they were using with the eight twenty and eight twenty one. So improvements in performance and efficiency there, you would expect. Um, beyond that, we basically know nothing, and you would expect probably to find more out at CES or MWC as to what's actually going on there, because this will be the chip uh, that's powering all the flagships next year. Um, probably more interesting actually is the quick charge four point zero stuff. Because yep. uh, we had this report from, uh, well, not report, but this revelation from Google in the uh, compatibility documents for Android 7.0, sort of hinting that, you know, if you're going to do, uh, if you're going to use a proprietary quick charging standard, it better be compatible with USB, uh, USB Type-C and USB 3, which uh, uh, the current Qualcomm quick charge stuff isn't. And now in quick charge 4.0, you have it playing nice with USB-C. So... It is kind they of, had to do that. They had to do that because otherwise they wouldn't be allowed to use it probably as of the next version of Android. So that, that just makes sense. Also means potentially if it's playing nice with Type-C that we'll see um, a lot of phone shipping probably in the next year or so with C to C chargers and uh, cables not A to C, which you know, a bit of inside baseball there. Not a huge deal, but means that maybe a bit of a headache if you're going for a bunch of uh, earlier phones with uh, um, USB-A output whatever yeah i mean we haven't really talked about that 
part of this transition as much because, you know, all these cables are still A to C because you've been able to, you know, you can plug into a current computer or a wall plug. You know, it's going to be, I mean, we, we saw this with the Nexus 5X, right? It, it, it Well, and the 6P, but the 5X only came with a C to C cable. So you couldn't plug it into anything, especially, you know, this time last year. But this is going to be an interesting transition because you're going to need an adapter or, you know, new wall chargers to start getting getting in with this C to C thing, even if you already had A to C cables for your current phones. And especially with high-end phones, we see a lot of uh, manufacturers like Samsung and Huawei shipping adapters, um, either micro USB to type C or whatever in the box. And I think next mm-hmm. year we'll probably, you know, the standard adapter that you get in the box might be an A to C adapter instead, just to make life easier for people uh, right. uh, making that or transition. Like, or- or like the pixels that come with the C to C cable and C charger, and then an A to C cable separate of that, so, um, which doesn't seem to solve the problem really. It just it, makes yeah. you hold on to it for longer. But you know, and yeah, and, and maybe that's something that will be a little bit more challenging with uh, lower margin phones because if you're shipping two cables in the box, that, that's a, a precious extra few cents per unit. I mean, a, a lot of these phones, you know, they're already not. You know, they don't ship with uh, headphones, you know, for the, mm-hmm. you know, the reason of saving money. So do you think they're going to give that back up to start shipping yeah, two cables? We'll see. I mean, the, the danger if you don't ship a, a decent A to C cable in the box is that someone goes on, on, you know, some marketplace and they get a dodgy A to C cable that fries their phone. Because that's right. the way Type C works. This is the world that we live in now. Um, anyway, I mean, that's... You know, kind of a, a problem that we'll we'll have to deal with in the next year or so. But uh, so, yeah. what's the spec on four as far as uh, fast charging compared to you know three I believe they were saying twenty percent faster. Uh, fi- uh, the the sort of buzzword there, or you know, marketing line was uh, five hours talk time in five minutes of charging. Which I mean, talk time is kind of a an, an outdated what is, metric these what days. What does that yeah. mean? Yeah, it means very little. Um, but yeah, it, it means probably your. Uh, I mean, it, since Quick Charge Two, you've always been looking at uh, getting past, you know, the getting from zero to fifty or sixty percent relatively quickly. I think with with Quick Charge Three and now Quick Charge Four, you're looking at more stable charging um, up to probably a, you know, a, a seventy or eighty percent mark that much faster. And if you're using mm-hmm. USB power delivery, you have a lot more options there in terms of maybe charging at. Uh, higher amperages as well as well so i want to get your guys's take on this because i've after like the the after the launch of i think quick charge 2.0 where i got really excited about quick charging i kind of just gave up caring about it all that much uh mostly because you know we switch between phones so much that you know i switch between a samsung phone which has quick charge 2.0 and something like the V20 has Quick Charge 3.0. My OnePlus 3 has Dash Charge. My Pixel has the USB power delivery spec for fast charging. And it's like, I just stop caring what plug I plug it into. I, I've Next to my bed, I don't, I don't need a fast charger for my overnight charging. I just have a 5-volt, 2.1-amp charger plugged in with the USB-C cable. Um in, in my car, I, I don't have a quick charge plug in the car. I On my desk, I have a multi-port charger with some USB-C cables plugged in. I just plug it in. I mean, it, it's 
after like I think that the the lustworthy feature of quick charging is worn off on me a little bit just because it's too much it's too much work when I switch phones. What as, like what do you think about that? Especially since in in this new USB three you know up to five amp charging world, you don't always. I mean, back with quick charge two, it was a case of okay, you just needed to worry about the phone and the charger. Now you need to worry about the phone, the charger, and the cable. And Huawei is a great oh, yeah. example of this. So the Huawei Mate 9 was announced a few weeks back. Um, they have their own supercharging standard, which goes up to uh, 5 amps at 4.5 volts. So super, super fast charging. But you need uh, not only the, the Huawei phone and the Huawei charger, but also the Huawei 5 amp, amp cable, which actually has the plastic on the inside. is a different color. It has embossed on it 5 amps, so you know it's, uh, it's that special cable. And it's just going to be super annoying for... A lot of people, you know, you imagine if you've been upgrading through phones through the years, maybe you have a bunch of cables lying around. You need to worry about taking not only that one quick charger, but that also that one quick charging cable uh, to charge your phone faster. And it's just a bunch of extra headaches that you maybe you don't need to worry about. You, you don't want yeah. to worry about. Um, and I mean, dash charge is the same way for OnePlus, uh, OnePlus yeah, 3, where yeah. you need the right cable and the charger. And it does charge extremely fast and the phone doesn't get nearly as hot and it has a better charge rate throughout the entire charge cycle but it's like yeah that'd be cool if i only used that but you know if i want to have quick reliable charging you know i in my bag i carry around a two usb port charger you know there's no dash charger that has two usb ports so i'm not going to specifically carry the dash charger because i need to be able to power up a tablet i need to power up my mobile Mm -hmm. uh you know my portable battery and so i'm not going to give up that second usb port or give up my quick charge battery you know to have dash charge you know what i mean and this in theory is the kind of thing that usb power delivery is supposed to solve and we'll i guess we'll see in the next year or so as more phones uh, use that and as more phones ship with Quick Charge 4, whether we do enter this new world of, okay, everything is C to C, we're in this fantastic world where you can just charge anything with anything and everything is quick charging and it's fantastic. I think it'll probably more realistically, we're looking at another couple of years before you just plug a thing into a charger and it charges and it charges as fast as it possibly can. Right. I mean, and I, I'm looking, I'm just looking around at my desk, which is an absolute mess right now of all kinds of different devices. But, you know, I've got a Bluetooth speaker here that's micro USB. Oh, yeah. I have, yeah. I have micro- C to C cables, A to C cables. I have an iPhone that has a lightning cable. I have my portable battery, which is charges itself up over micro USB. And it's like, oh, my goodness, and, and this I'm is going to take I, so long. You have cameras that charge over micro USB. My wireless charger for my GS7 is micro USB. I've um, mm-hmm. Bluetooth headphones that are a micro USB, and these are devices that aren't replaced as regularly as phones. So even when we're in this this new era of charging everything over Type C, we're still going to have all these, you know, to to quote legacy devices um, that you might still be using. I might still be really good, but charge over this old standard, and we're still going to be juggling between these two different cable standards probably for a a good um, five years or so. It's going to be that t- it's going to take that and- much time before everything is Type C. And the funny thing for me this week was getting the uh, Google Home has a proprietary barrel style connector on the bottom of it for its own charger, which is a big brick. And the Chromecast Ultra is a micro USB plug. Mm, (laughs) And it's like, you know, Google has been pushing USB-C super hard and it's still did a proprietary connector on the home and the oldest, you know, the oldest mobile connector uh, of the bunch on 
the Ultra. So I mean, I, I guess it's understandable in the Chromecast Ultra because everyone has micro USB cables lying around. If they if they want to save money and not ship a cable with it, you know, chances are you're going to have a micro USB cable lying around, and also. You know, it's oh sure they include the the special Ethernet power adapter too. I, I yeah, get that yeah. part. It, it's just funny that they're going to ship another, you know, probably twenty million micro USB chargers into the world when they ship the Chromecast Ultra out over the next couple of years. So, yeah. I mean, we, um, we've we've gone uh, way way down the rabbit hole on on quick charging. Here, it, but it's the <laughs> Icon Cast and the Cable Cast. And the Cable Cast, yeah. Um, I. We were originally talking Snapdragon 835. Uh, I mean, who knows how, why it's 835 and not 830. I, I wouldn't necessarily read too much into that. Um, and it's going to be a while before we see devices with uh, these features anyway, right? Yeah, or this, probably um, we'd be looking... Processor. I, we'd be looking, I guess, at um, Mobile World Congress for any anything based on that. But if you look at the strategy Qualcomm's taken so far, it's been custom core designs loosely based around ARM designs, but uh, you know, with more of an emphasis on single core performance. I think that's something that we'll see carried forward into uh, a new generation of Android phones next year. Also, I mean, in terms of GPUs as well, obviously that's an area of huge importance as we look at more VR devices. That's going to be something I think that they focus a lot on um, when and we actually see this screens. in devices. And 4K screens, potentially, we're looking at that in the Galaxy S8. Um, we've already seen the the new ARM GPU, which actually made its debut relatively early in the Huawei Mate 9. Um, that's rumored to be in the GS8 as well. And actually, that design does support 4K screens. So that is going to be the baseline going forward that you support 4K, maybe not necessarily for, for phones, but because um, maybe you have a standalone headset that uses it or whatever, or you have it in a phone that then goes in a headset. Um, you don't necessarily need it when it's doing phone stuff, but if VR is going to take off in the next year, you need that extra pixel density and you need a beefy GPU to power all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, fun stuff for the next, well, I mean, we're going to see that in flagships for, you know, the next eight to 12 months. Um, and then HTC will probably release the Bolt 2 like in, in like a year and a half with this <sighs> processor in it. Uh, <laughs> Can't wait. Uh Okay, so let's let's wrap this podcast up so we don't go two hours. I, I think I want to end up because we're going to be going into the um, starting the holiday buying season. I want to talk a, a little bit about the fact that we put up our, you know, our huge holiday gift guide, which has a lot of has a lot of nerdy products on it, but it also has a lot of like general consumer stuff, things you're going to be maybe recommending to people when they you know, they're sitting at the uh, Thanksgiving table here in the US and they're asking, you oh, know, what laptop should I get? What tablet or accessories or whatever we should get? I want to just run through this and, or, you know, have each of you maybe, let's start with you, Daniel, pick out a couple things out of this gift guide that you see as like, these are going to be irresistible products that people are going to be picking up for the holidays. Yeah. So my, my main one is uh, the Sennheiser PCX uh, 550 wireless noise canceling headphones. Uh, everybody at Mobile Nations talks about the the uh, what are they? The Bose Quiet Comfort QC 35s. 35s, yeah, and how they're the bee's knees and everything. And I'm sure they're fine. But I've by heard, the way, I, I I'm the only one I think other than you that doesn't use those. I have AKG noise canceling headphones, but. right? And and I'm not I'm not somebody to like just denigrate another person's decision just because everybody else is is in love with it. But I think that 
Bose has a very particular sound profile, and I've never really liked the sound coming out of Bose. I don't like the fact that you can't turn off noise cancellation on the QC35s, whereas on the Sennheisers... Oh, wow, you can't? I believe you cannot. I believe that they are a permanent fixture. Um, Wow. I know that the Sennheiser sound profile is generally a little bit, especially on their closed headphones, a little bit more bassy. They're... They're very well calibrated. I've never had a Sennheiser headphone that I've disliked the sound from. And these headphones have 30-hour battery life. They've got multi-touch on the uh, on the outside of one of the cups. They are very light. They are a little bit bigger than the QC35s, but not too much. And they're $400. So they're a bit expensive. They're more expensive than the Bose, but I think that they're worth it. Uh, I'm a big headphone person, as you can probably tell. So I am looking forward to buying myself a pair of those. Um, the 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 third the i don't know so there's a couple here that i'm i already own and i will give a shout out to them uh the fitbit charge 2 is something that i've kind of kept on my wrist in place of a smartwatch over the last few months and i haven't regretted it uh five-day battery life water resistance i have a lot of friends in the fitbit social network that keep me motivated i really do think it helps now that i have a dog which i have uh not said publicly yet, but I just got a Great Dane puppy, and I'm in love with her. Her name is Zadie. Um, I want break, to get outside. Break exclusive, break exclusive dog news right there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sorry, guys. I've got to go put this up on AndroidCentral.com Log really it. quick. Um, the Charge 2 is a great Fitbit. Uh, it's the best Fitbit. It's a great fitness uh, tracker, and it does everything I need it to do. It has, for, on Android, call and text notifications and calendar as well. So it's it's, for me, it's almost perfect if it was fully waterproof like the flex 2 then it would be perfect but it's it's not and i think the the third one is is probably going to be like the nest outdoor cam which is this weird i i bought it because i had raccoons getting into my garbage every night and i really wanted to try to monitor what where they were getting in from because there, if you you don't know where i live thankfully but if you knew there would it's very difficult for raccoons to get into my garbage area. So I wanted to find out how they were doing it. And the installation was really easy. It's amazing with the app. Uh, Nest has Break, finally... breaking, breaking raccoon news here on the Android Central <laughs> yes, podcast. Very animal centric here. So I love this outdoor cam. I think Nest has done a great job updating Nest Aware. Definitely makes the $50 a year subscription, or I think it's $100 Canadian. So maybe $70 a year US uh, worthwhile. And the picture quality is great, even in uh, even at night. So, yes, <laughs> highly recommended if you're looking for an outdoor security camera. And uh, yeah, those are my three picks. What about you? So, um, well, let's see, Alex. Do you have a, do you have two or three you want to pick out here that you're particularly fond of? Yeah. So I think a lot of people have Samsung phones, but aren't necessarily aware of of like the broader Samsung ecosystem around them. And um, we're now at the point where there are a good number of people out there who have phones that will support the Gear VR who probably aren't aware of it. And it's still relatively you know, within impulse by territory at $99. Um, it's had time to build up that content ecosystem. So I think that, for me, is, is sort of like a fantastic gateway drug into the world of VR. And um, whether it's movies or the the number of games that are out there for the high-end Samsung phones that support Gear VR, uh, I would definitely recommend that for anyone who's sort of uh, 
on on the tech nerd side who wants to uh, get into VR without blowing like eight hundred dollars on an HTC Vive, uh, that would definitely yeah. be my my recommendation. Uh, on the other side, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, wearables is still a tricky space. People are still wanting to figure out what a smartwatch is supposed to be, and Android Wear is still in this uh, this sort of transition period right now between 1.0 and 2.0 and uh most of the hardware out there is still pretty old but the smartwatch that's still uh i think the most attractive to me is the huawei watch and uh, if you look at it with a metal strap um easily the best looking android wear watch out there uh it isn't necessarily as as sporty or as as traditionally watch like as uh, some of the samsung gear watches but uh, you have that that fantastic build quality. You have metal straps. You have uh, you know the guarantee that it'll work with any Android phone 4.4 and up, and you know without it trying to hook you into the, a separate ecosystem like Pebble and, and Samsung watches do. So um, yeah, it's it's a, a big investment. I think it's 240 something dollars at the moment. But um, you know. Probably not uh, not a bad buy, even going into the new year when we're expecting new Android Wear hardware. Yeah, absolutely. On on the Huawei watch point, especially because that's that's over a hundred dollars off what it launched at, right? Yeah, it's gone down in price a lot over the past year, and uh, you know, in all fairness, you are a, a full twelve months into the or you know with the Huawei watch, depending on where you you draw the line, because it was announced a little bit earlier. Um, you're a, a good amount of time into the lifespan of that product but you know you're getting a decent discount on it it's a good looking watch um the the update is going to arrive next year and there's a lot of great functionality that's going to be coming to it in the meantime you have that sort of base level of uh support where you get all your notifications you have uh, app support that's been built out for a lot of uh major app developers uh, google play music support um a lot of expandable notifications and that kind of thing. And then you have this new update to look forward to in the new year. So, um, yeah, I think it's, I mean, Android Wear has not taken off to the degree that I think Google would have liked it to, but um, there's still decent hardware out there. I think the Huawei Watch still at the moment stands at that top level. Absolutely. Um, All right, I've I've got three or four, like seven picks in here, but I'll narrow it down a little bit. I think that... uh, the Chromebook, the Acer Chromebook R13 deserves a major shout out as kind of the general all around. If you're looking for like a standard size laptop that doesn't do anything crazy as far as, you know, it's it's not small and turns into a tablet. It's not it doesn't do anything. You know, it's just a standard 13 inch, very powerful, great screen, great keyboard, all metal design the Acer Chromebook R13 is a, is a steal at 400 bucks. I think it's, it's better than what it's about on par with what Dell's doing, but it's doing it for like a hundred to $200 less. And that's pretty awesome. If you're looking for a Chromebook also, I'm going to get onto the headphone point a little bit because those Sennheisers are what, like $400 or something like that. We recommend a cheaper alternative in the samsung level on headphones which are the ones that i use to podcast every time uh every week i'm using them right now they're only 126 dollars on amazon right now they offer bluetooth or wired you can plug in if you want and active noise cancellation they've really nice it's a really nice build and really nice leather ear cups and all that they're smaller and they fold up nicely so they're not big like you know the sennheisers or the bose 
just an awesome deal for 126 bucks. Uh, you know, less than half the price. Not a lot of people are going to spend $400 on headphones. So that would be my shout out there. Also, Chromecast Ultra. If you if you don't have a Chromecast now, or you maybe have a first or second gen Chromecast and you want to upgrade to maybe put the old one in another room or something as a backup, the Chromecast Ultra is still a, a snap buy for me at 70 bucks. It, sure, it's not 35 or $30 or $20 or whatever you can get the refurbished original one for, but it's so fast and the picture quality is awesome and you'd be you'll be ready for 4K when, you know, when it starts to be a bigger deal in like the next year or two. So th- those are mine. They're not, you know, of course we could sit here and talk about phones all day, but I think this other stuff is important too and it's not as big of a buying decision even to buy $400 headphones as it is to go and buy like a $700 phone that you're going to use for a couple of years so I think it's important to talk about these what did you uh, adjacent stuff or you know not just accessories but other stuff in the Android world yeah I mean everybody has a Um, phone so mm -hmm. how to make that phone better right I yeah, I mean, I think that there's a bigger discussion when you're talking about phones. It's like, oh, I'm replacing my current phone. Whereas, you know, headphones, like somebody may not have a nice pair of active noise canceling headphones or they might not have a smartwatch yet or a Chromecast yet or something like that. So we're going to, we have this all linked on the Android Central homepage. It's going to be sitting up there at the top of the page, you know, throughout the holidays. And now that we're going into Black Friday as well, we're going to have, um, we're going to be highlighting a lot of Black Friday deals just for that. It's going to, most of them are going to kick off like on Monday, Tuesday and go all the way to the next Monday after Thanksgiving. And Black Friday's turned into like a global event, which is kind of hilarious. Yeah. Um, because it's just not, <laughs> it's just, there's not a lot of great deals out there necessarily. But if you cherry, you know, you let us, like, we just, we go cherry pick the stuff that's actually a good deal and we'll point it out to you. And so you don't have to go scouring the, the internet for it. So um, speaking of, of things that maybe aren't such great deals, um, <laughs> I, I have it on good authority that you can buy a Samsung Galaxy Note 3 for uh, a cool 250 US dollars what do you think of that andrew yeah and, and yes it is it is november 18th 2016 just a reminder to follow that yes samsung is trying to sell <laughs> a certified pre-owned galaxy note 3 on black friday for 250 dollars and don't don't buy that don't <laughs> let anybody buy that if you see somebody considering it sit them down and have a stern five minute talking to them about uh- the fact that you should not buy a Galaxy Note 3 and Samsung should should not be selling a Galaxy Note 3. And spend $186 to watch raccoons instead. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. You, you, could, buy, you could buy a Nest Cam and pocket $70 and just get on with your life. Or, you know, <laughs> buy, another, buy another phone that's actually worth your time because they're, they're also selling Galaxy S4s. Oh, God. For, uh, uh, yeah. Certified pre-owned like Sprint Galaxy S4s. Uh, wait a minute. So, so. I, l- let me just break this. So certified pre-owned. <laughs> what is that? Is it certified that it was owned by another? He- I mean, what what does that actually get you? Certified uh, in, in what that, sense? I think that that means that it was like used as part of a you know a carrier's last couple years. We're doing like trade-ins. You know, trade in your phone that's two years old, get seventy-five bucks off your new phone, and all those 
a lot of times they just get funneled back to Samsung and they like make sure that it turns on. They'll maybe pull off the back cover and put a fresh back cover that's not all scratched on it mm. and make sure the screen's not destroyed. And then they try to sell it to you for $250 in November 2016. Well, sweet. <sighs> yeah. On that depressing note, I'm going to wrap this up because uh, we've gone on for an hour and 10 minutes. I think that's a good amount. And uh, let's start with you, Alex. Where can they find you around the internet for uh, all your uh, Sony hot takes? <sighs> Sony hot takes? Not until not until the new year, unfortunately. Uh, you can find me on uh, the various things, including Twitter, Instagram, and um, potentially at some point Google+. Plus. At Alex Doby, wow. or just search me on Google or uh, go to androidcentral.com where you will find all of my stuff. Okay, and what about you, Daniel? Where can we find um, your musings about owning a dog? I'm raccoons. Uh, that would be on Instagram, mostly. Uh, at JourneyDan. I'm the same on Twitter. And uh, you can find me occasionally on AC writing about... trying not to write about my dog. Although I, I do want to really review some dog tech I'm trying to figure but, out what to do there. Um, actually, your dog, your dog has her own Twitter, uh, her own uh, Instagram account, right? Uh, she does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you do want to follow her, it's <laughs> Zadie dot the dot Dane. Um, Perfect. I'm leading myself up for some. I don't even know, but if you do want to see my dog and her cute glory, there she is. <laughs> your dog is going to have more Instagram followers than. Uh, all three of us put together. I hope so. I hope she becomes famous and I can make lots of money from that. Perfect. It's a route to success. I'm ready for Good. it. Uh, <laughs> well, when I'm on Instagram following Dan's dog and all the adorable pictures of it, you find me there and on Twitter and everywhere else at my name, Andrew Martinick, and all over Android Central with hot takes about Samsung's Black Friday deals <laughs> that are insulting to users. And I think that that's going to wrap it up here, guys. And I don't know. Are we going to be back with... Are we going to do some kind of a podcast next week? Considering the yeah. uh, the holiday. I don't know. So I'm already off somewhere else next Thursday. I yeah, think we're we'll, going to have to... Yeah. We, might, we might have to push that. Hmm. You know what we should do? We should republish the first AC podcast and see what it sounds like today. I would really be interested uh, in hearing might, that. We might have to... We might have to listen to that first and see if that's something we feel like. Could we skip to like 100 yeah. or 150 or something where it actually sounded like we knew what we were doing? Sure. Let's let's just pick a really good episode and, and uh, republish it. Well, there will be something. We'll, we'll have something to, or well, worst case, the the next week we'll do like three hours, right? We'll have like we'll have a surprise, uh, a good, good or bad, however that pans out. <laughs> okay. We're going to stick a fork in this one. That's a good hour and 10 minutes. And um, we'll see you guys either next week or the week after with uh, plenty more Android news. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. See ya. See See you later.